Genesis chapter 5, Genesis 5 in your Bible tonight. While you're turning there, I'm going to mention an Indiana legend by way of introduction. How many remember, you've got to remember this name or you're not a good Indiana person. How many remember the name John Wooden? Do you remember the name? <coughs> Coach John Wooden, very good. Burdines, you don't remember that name? Coach John Wooden, winningest coach in college basketball. He was an amazing man. He was born in Martinsville, Indiana, and uh, is very, very famous, but beyond being a fine coach, he was a man of amazing Christian character. He had been holding out for a coaching position, I think, at UCLA at one point in time, and, and uh, really wanted that position. He knew he was in the running for that, and then uh, he hadn't heard anything from them, and so he heard from the University of Minnesota, of all places, the University of Minnesota, and, uh, and, and he was hoping for California, but he thought, well, I have to have a job. So then he thought, well, I'll accept the job, I think it was the University of Minnesota. He said, I'll accept the job at the University of Minnesota. He accepted that, and the day after he accepted that job, he got called by UCLA, and uh, he knew that the right thing to do, because this man was a godly Christian. John Wooden was a godly Christian. He knew the right thing to do was to keep his word to Minnesota, and he did, and he was coach for Golden Gophers for a while up there at the University of Minnesota. They had a, uh, <clears throat> they had a, a uh, the thing they called the barn. It was where they played basketball, and for some reason, when they designed the basketball court there, it was elevated four or five feet above the actual floor of the stadium, the, 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 the call us whatever it was, with that stadium thing. And so if you ran too far too fast, you ran off the edge. It was a horrible and dangerous design. But uh, John Wooden was a fine Christian. By the way, it'll kind of go along with what I'm saying tonight. Uh, John Wooden wrote several books, uh, little devotional style books, that I would highly recommend to you if you're going to start with devotions. That leads into what I'm going to say, because Coach John Wooden had a philosophy, winningest coach in college basketball, he had a philosophy of this. He said, always emphasize the fundamentals, the basic, and he believed in emphasizing the most basic uh, things of the game of basketball. He was not interested in a Harlem Globetrotters type of basketball, a showy basketball or a trick basketball. So uh, he would insist that his men would practice dribbling, which is a very basic fundamental, but he would insist upon them practice dribbling. He was so uh, in tune with the basics and the fundamentals that he actually taught his team players how to put on their socks properly. What do you mean, put your socks on properly? He felt that if you didn't do it a certain way, it was possible for your sock to bunch up, and then during the game you could get a blister, and that would hinder you during the game. So uh, he, was, he was a very detail-oriented man, but he said this, one of his mantras was this, always stick with the fundamentals. Well, tonight I'm going to talk about what I think is probably one of the most important fundamentals of the Christian life, and that is your devotional life or your walk with God. And, and I'm doing this tonight with purpose, because this evening uh, we have coming up New Year's. And I am a, I am a firm believer <coughs> in New Year's resolutions. Sometimes you'll hear preachers say, well, we don't believe in that. I believe in them, because a New Year's resolution is fundamentally a decision to do better. And so we're going to consider, what can I do in my devotions? Now, if someone says, Pastor Monty, my devotional life is perfect, then you are a liar, because everyone has room to improve in regard to their devotional life. So look at the introduction, please, then I'll get into some interesting scripture in a moment. Introduction, the new year is a good time for introspection, reflection, and decision. Though New Year's resolutions are a cultural phenomenon, and when we talk about this, it's not something that the Bible mandates per se. Though New Year's resolutions are a cultural phenomenon, the New Year offers a breaking point from the old with new challenges and possibilities. Now here's something I believe, that there should be a point in time, probably more regularly than yearly, when you examine yourself to figure out where am I? Now tonight we're going to talk about where we are spiritually, but I think where you are as a person is very, very important, but the key to all of that is where am I spiritually? Everyone in the room probably has a, a goal or an idea of where you'd like to be this time next year, 
<laughs> and uh, there's a way to get there. And it begins with a decision, but that is followed up with a methodology, okay? If all you make is a decision, the decision is only a wish. Why well, wish to do this? Now, it is really unfortunate that some people go through their life happy they made a decision, but they have no follow through. They can't follow through on anything. So, and, and how many have been there in relationship to the diet thing? I have, I sure have. Now, I did give you all a reprieve from all of your diets uh, until uh, through Christmas time, okay? I wish I hadn't done that because it has given me free reign to eat way too much. And in, in regard to the matter of sweets, which I don't normally eat. And uh, there is a product, which I'm going to recommend to you right now, at Aldi, uh, at the Aldi supermarket, my, my wife buys it there, called a Kringle. It is like a Danish product. I, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a ring uh, pastry product, okay? It comes in almond and raspberry. Now, let me tell you something. Do yourself a favor and go buy one of those, okay? It is one of the best, and I know it's store-bought, and I was telling Kelly that she needs to find a recipe so she can make them homemade, and she's, uh, she's on that, of course, but, uh, but they're, they're excellent, probably one of the best store-bought things I've ever had, so I'm just gonna recommend that, and after the service, if Aldi is still open, you should make a run right over there to get one of those. But, uh, <clears throat> so we, we make a decision about the discipline that it takes to stay in decent shape, well, Pastor Monty, what if, I, what if I fail? Look at me, we all fail, we all fail. But then you start over again, and you don't try to look for some instantaneous cure, but you start over again, okay? And the same is true with devotions. Here's what I wanna say about, about New Year's resolutions. People think that they make a decision and then they are inconsistent for a day or two that they have resigned themselves to failure. That is never the way to grow. Growth always happens as it begins at a decision point, and then the person follows through that decision for a little bit, and then maybe they dip, they miss a day, or they miss two days. And if you're the type of person that says, if I can't be 100% consistent at something, I will quit, you'll never succeed at anything, including having your personal devotion. So uh, though a cultural phenomenon, I think it's a good breaking point from the old uh, to challenge us with, with, uh, with the possibilities of life. One of the best resolutions a Christian can make is to renew his walk with the Lord. Now, we use the word devotions, and that, that to us describes kind of a set of activities. We're going to read our Bible, we're going to pray. Those are essential, but the goal is not just reading a portion of Scripture and praying a prayer. The goal is walking with God. So some of us get so involved in the idea of the mechanics that like anything else on our to-do list, we're willing to check that off and feel good about ourselves, but that's not the goal. The goal is not saying, okay, I accomplished this today. I, I'm on the Bible Read It Through program, Brother Monty, and I read six chapters today, okay? Wonderful, but the question is, are you reaching the real goal of walking with God? It is not devotions, quote unquote, having devotions for devotion's sake. It is a relationship builder. If all I'm doing is checking the box, then I'm very Roman Catholic in that, okay? I'm just doing it because I boom, 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 boom. And it becomes something that is mechanical and you're not growing as a person. So we want to be careful about that. Um, if we're honest, our personal devotions can sometimes become stale and infrequent. Okay, I'm not gonna ask for a raise of hands because I know we're all guilty there. You say, Pastor Money, how do you know? We're all human. Okay, now, everyone in this room can do better in relationship to his walk with God, which I'm saying tonight, a fundamental element of that is our devotional life, what we typically call our devotional life. So I, I wanna give you an example of someone who walked with God. But look at point A under number one. Daily personal devotions are not a legalistic requirement, okay? This is where we sometimes, well, Pastor Monty, that you, that you just gotta do this every single day. I hope you do it every day, but as soon as you turn it into a legalistic requirement, it can become a ritual. Remember what Jesus said about praying? He gave us the sample prayer, the example prayer, we call it the Lord's Prayer. But he said in that passage, he said, do not repeat prayers 
out of a vain repetition, okay? It is not simply to check the box or to keep the rules, okay? But rather, daily personal Bible reading and prayer is the best avenue to personal spiritual growth. Frankly, there is no substitute. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. YouTube videos are not a substitute to reading your Bible and praying. Okay, listening to sermon audio, sermons online, even the sermons of your preacher, that's no substitute to reading the Bible and prayer, okay? That you, 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 it's wonderful to supplement your spiritual life with these things. Those of you who have to drive a lot for work, for example, you might listen to sermons online. <laughs> that's a wonderful supplement. It is not a substitute for the effort that goes into a personal walk with God, which means I'm reading the Bible for myself, listen carefully, so that there's nothing between me and my Bible. There's nothing between me and God. That's what a personal walk with God is. So while a sermon can be supplemental, that puts the preacher of the sermon kind of between you and God in a way, follow what I'm saying. But if I'm reading my Bible, and if I'm praying, and if I'm doing it properly with the goal of walking with God, that's when my personal devotions can become transformative. That's what, that is the goal. So I want to give you an example. Look at Genesis 5, the earliest man of three men of whom it is said they walked with God. Uh, Genesis chapter 5, by the way, that we're looking at Enoch tonight, Noah also walked with God, as did Levi. That specific phrase is used of three different men in the Bible. But look at Genesis chapter 5, verse number 21. And this is in what we call a genealogical section. Uh, it's a genealogy <coughs> all the way from Adam down to Noah. But in verse number 20, let look at, jump back, go back to verse number 19. And Jared lived, we don't know much about Jared. Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. This was prior to the flood. The world was an entirely different place. We can't even begin to imagine what this world was like prior to the flood. He lived, so he lived 800 years, begat sons and daughters, pardon me, Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years, I'm in verse 19, and begat sons and daughters. Verse 20, and all the days of Jared were 960 and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. Now, Enoch is one of the unique people in this genealogical record that gets more than a verse or two. Because look what the Bible says. He's 65 years old. He begin, begets Methuselah, his son, who is the oldest recorded living person in the Bible. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God. Notice this repetition about walking with God. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Pastor Monty, what in the world? It is a break in the genealogical record where you have one begat, and he died. He begat, and he died. He begat, and he died. But in this elongated footnote in the genealogical record about Enoch, it says he walked with God and ultimately, using this odd phraseology, he was not for God took him. Now the New Testament leaves no doubt as to what that means. We'll get into that in just a moment. But I want to focus on the idea that this man Enoch walked with God. Look at point number one. Enoch was a great prophet and also a great believer in Jehovah. He began his notable walk with God at age 65 and continued consistent for 300 years. Now, now look this way. Did, does that mean he was perfect and never sinned? No, for all have sinned and for sure the glory of God. But it says that this man, a characteristic of his life, a consistent characteristic of his life, was his walk with God. Enoch walked with God, the Bible says, after he begat sons and daughters. Enoch understood the importance of leading his family as God led him. Nothing is more important in family life than a husband and father who walks with God. Now, why is this so important? Well, if you have children and grandchildren, your walk with God is absolutely essential to their eventual walk with God. 
Every once in a while, people are like, Pastor Monty, give me the best book on child rearing you can find, and I'll just do everything the book says. Um, I'm skeptical about these manuals as to how to raise a child, pardon me, how to rear a child. And why am I skeptical about that? Because all kids are different. How many know that's true? Yeah, and they can be in the same home and be different. The greatest success that I will have is not anything in my career, but it's if my kids know and love the Lord. Now, your kids aren't going to be perfect, but that is the greatest success. How can I help to ensure that? Understanding children have a free will to choose, how can I help to ensure that? One of the greatest insurances, not guarantee, no, I'm not using the word guarantee, one of the greatest assurances of that is if I genuinely walk with the Lord. So when, when I die, my kids say something nice about me, and I sure hope that they do, because they won't get any inheritance if they don't. That's already in the will. No, just kidding. But, but uh, when, when I die, uh, my kids, I, I, they would never stand up and say at my funeral, oh, dad was perfect. No, they know my flaws. My wife knows my flaws. But one thing I hope that they would say is he did his best to walk with God. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't 100% consistent in every way in his life, but he did his best to walk with God. So Enoch walked with God. It's interesting to me that he began doing this at age 65 after he began having kids. Look at point three. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. So seamless was Enoch's earthly walk that his translation to the presence of God, that's what it means God took him, and I'll demonstrate that from the New Testament in a moment, his, his earthly walk with God was so, so seamless that his translation to the presence of God did not miss a step. Enoch did not die as other men, God simply took him. Isn't that interesting? We never read that Enoch begat so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and then he died. The Bible makes this footnote that he was translated into the very presence of God. How do you know? Hebrews 11, verse number 5, gives more insight into Enoch's seamless walk with God. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. So the purpose of his translation into heaven, his, his being carried into heaven, the purpose of that was that he should not see death and was not found. There was, there was, there, I, I'm taking that kind of to mean there was no body. That's kind of what I take that to mean. You say, Pastor Monty, went up bodily? Well, it, it, it appears that maybe he did. I'm not going to be, I am not going to be uh, dogmatic about that. But by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now I want you to listen carefully. My pleasing of God is not keeping a bunch of rules. My pleasing of God is my walking with him. Now certainly there are standards and expectations given in the New Testament that are part of our walk with him. But the walk with him is a relationship, okay? So for example, uh, I want to have a good relationship with Kelly. I really want to have that because uh, it's miserable when you don't. When you have a good relationship with your spouse, it's just miserable and I want to do that. So, so what do I want to do? I want to do things that are pleasing to her, or at the very least are not irritating to her. Put that illustration now into your spiritual life. I want to walk with God in such a way as to please him, and to walk with God in such a way as to not irritate him. And, and so Enoch had this special translation to heaven, he did not die. Because of his walk with God, Enoch enjoyed unique prophetic insight, including the second coming of Christ. I won't have time to turn there, but Jude, there's only one chapter, Jude verses 14 and 15, that's a direct quote from the book of First Enoch, direct quote. Oh, I said, Pastor Monty, wait a minute. I don't, I, last time I checked my Bible, the book of Enoch wasn't in my Bible. You'd be right about that. It's not in your Bible, okay? What was the book of Enoch, okay? Um, three books, I've got this at point number six, just to quickly explain. Three books of ancient Jewish tradition bear his name, first, second, and third Enoch. They are not scripture. They are not scripture. They are not inspired. While not scripture, the ancients viewed these books as reliable commentaries on parts of the Old Testament. So how many of you in your, your library somewhere at home, how many of you have a Bible commentary? You have a Bible commentary or a little devotional book? Okay, how many of you know that your Bible commentary is not scripture? 
Okay, you know that, right? I've, I've got, if you look at my library, I've got hundreds of books about the Bible, maybe thousands, I don't know, there's just a lot of them. And not one of those is inspired scripture. So I can take a Bible commentary down and I can read it, and I can say, okay, that's a good idea. And then I can say, eh, that idea over there is goofy. Okay, and most of my books have more good ideas than they have bad ideas, but you have to have discernment. Why? None of that is inspired, but it can be influential. Okay, so the book that bears his name, and I understand there's controversy as to the origin of the book of Enoch, they're not part of Scripture, folks. You get that in your head. They're not part of Scripture, partially because they're not in Hebrew. Okay, they were never accepted uh, by the Hebrew people, but, but they were influential. They were quoted in the New Testament. That's pretty influential. Enoch is named in our New Testament, and so he was significant. But why is this also significant? Because Enoch walked with God. A man who only has four, five, six verses of mention in the entire Bible is a man whose influence extends down to the present time even to some of the words that appear in our New Testament. Why was that? Because he walked with God. Another man like that, I just wanted to quickly cite David in the Old Testament. David, the Bible says, is a man after God's own heart. David habitually prayed in the morning, my voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. That indicates habitual prayer. Now, he might, he might have missed a day here or there, like all human beings do, but habitually, he had a time of prayer for David. It was in the morning. David continually meditated or pondered upon Scripture. He said in Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Okay? Well, you say, Pastor, what does that mean? It, it does not mean that David had his Bible and was reading his Bible all the waking hours of the day. That's not what it means. But it means that he read something and had a familiarity with that, and then he pondered it. The word meditate means to ponder. By the way, meditation, you pass money, meditation is where we sit cross-legged and, and hold our hands like this, and whom? No, no, that's paganism. Okay, that's heathen, okay? Meditation always has an object, and in Scripture, the object is the Word of God. In other words, when someone tells you, well, in order to feel peace, you just need to completely empty your mind and concentrate on your breathing. No. In fact, emptying your mind is a very dangerous practice because if you empty your mind, I can promise you something heathen will fill it. But what, how, what is Bible meditation? Bible meditation has as its object the Word of God. And that means that I have a familiarity with it, whether from having read it that morning or having memorized it, and that I replay what I learned in the morning. I'll talk about that in a moment. I replay that throughout the day. In other words, I think about it, listen carefully, because the things about which I think are the things that influence me. Okay, and, and, and we've talked much about this, how you're to think certain things. And if you're meditating on scripture, you will have a different outcome for your entire day than if you're meditating on problems or if you're meditating on issues or if you're meditating on negativity. We've talked about that. Okay, so having said that, I'm going to delve into methods for daily devotions. We're making devotions great again. And I'm gonna cover this part with a focus, not on the prayer part, but on the reading part, okay? Because this, I think, is where people get stuck the most, is in regard to the reading part. <laughs> they have a goal, and they don't ever get there. Okay, some real basics. Look at point A. Have a regular time. Have a regular time. Mornings work best for a lot of people because there are fewer distractions. It is my habit to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, okay? I don't even like to do it all the time, but my body wakes me up about 5 o'clock in the morning. It is my habit. I love that because the house is quiet and I'm by myself. So I immediately start a cup of coffee, which, by the way, there's precious little that is more promotive of good devotions than plain black coffee. I immediately start a cup of coffee, I get that going, and then I have my reading time in the morning. So, but if you're not a morning person, how many say, Pastor Mania, I'm not a morning person. 
Anyone like that? Yeah, it's, it's not a sin not to be. I am a morning person. My best, most creative time is five o'clock in the morning. That is my best time. It goes downhill starting about nine o'clock in the morning. It goes downhill. The, the best work I do, the most creative, the best and most clear my mind is, is, it, is early in the morning. That's just who I am. Everyone has a different rhythm, circadian rhythm that they work with. Mornings work for many, but it can be any time as long as you can be consistent. And consistent does not mean perfect. Interruptions happen and you have to accept that, okay? As little as 15 minutes is fine, but more is better because we're talking not only about a regular time, but a regular time length. Now, let me tell you this. Do not, okay, Pastor Monning said it's a minimum of 15 minutes. So uh, you take out your cell phone. Hey, Siri, set a, an alarm for 15 minutes from now. And then when the alarm goes off, you're like, okay, I did it. That's not devotions. That's not a walk with God, okay? There, I, I think uh, having a, enough time to take in something significant is vital, but also having enough time to when you really get into something and start finding something, you can spend time with it. So Pastor Monty, how long do your devotions go? My reading time goes a minimum of one hour, but that's because of how I've scheduled my time. My big New Year's resolution, by the way, for the coming year is time management. I am going to become a fiend of time management, and none of you is going to change that, okay? <laughs> Pastor, why are you so aggressive? Because if I'm not aggressive, <laughs> I won't do it. I have to pretend I'm fighting a battle in order to make a decision. That's one of my decisions, time management. So I'm going to have a regular time, um, and the, the idea of 15 minutes is a suggestion, okay? Number point B, have a regular place. Make your time with God a meeting and meet with him in a consistent location. For some, it's a study, an easy chair down in the living room somewhere, a quiet place in the house, wherever. But I think having a specific location is good. Why? Because it is at that location you're going to focus on this task, okay? That helps you to get a mindset. This is very practical. But now point C, what I wanted to get to, have a flexible plan. Now, I'm giving you several ideas here. I'm not telling you to do all of this because you can pick one, you can try it, then I don't like that one. Well, then pick another one, okay? But this just gives you variety. One of the things that people, why they stop having their devotions is they don't, it's not variety enough. Oh, I got to read that Bible again. Okay, let me give you something that's really going to be variety for you. Okay, so uh, the Bible reading schedule is okay, but it can be daunting for some. The read it through, that's a lot of chapters, and it can be daunting for some. It's fine. I'm not opposed to it, but for a lot of us, that's rather daunting. Uh, what do I want to do? I want to read my Bible for the message, not for the amount of the reading. Okay, my, if I'm going to walk with God, I have to hear from God. And I hear from God when God points out something to me by the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside, God points out something to me through his word. Uh, maybe, uh, have you ever had the experience where a verse or even just a portion of the verse kind of jumps off the page at you? And then you've thought about that portion of the verse? Okay, that's God using that in your life. That is, the, that is the emphasis of the day, you might say. You want to look for a message from God, not just a particular amount of reading. Pray that God will give you something from his word before you read. Okay, expectancy and asking God is part of getting something. If all you're doing is something mechanical, you're just punching the time clock. But if you're expecting something from God because you asked him to, it will be remarkable how much he shows you, maybe even in a limited time, of Bible reading. Okay, if you find something you don't understand, stop and don't move on until you have a reasonable grasp of it. That is important. Now, this is where the work begins. Well, preacher, I read something in the Bible and I just didn't understand that, okay? How many, don't, don't raise your hand. We all have a tendency to read something in the Bible and we didn't understand it, so we just hope the next verse is better. <laughs> We've all been there. Or you read something, particularly in the Old Testament, and you say, that's really weird. I don't understand that. That's super weird, so I'll just go on to find something I'm more comfortable with. If you study your Bible enough, the quote-unquote weird things in the Bible are some of the most important things 
in the pages of Scripture, especially look at the book of Genesis, okay? That's, that's remarkable. Some of the things that people like to pass over because they're just, quote-unquote, too weird or because they offend our culture. By the way, how many, you know we believe in interpreting the Bible in its context. That means, Pastor, we don't just yank a verse out and yell about it. Correct. It means more than that. It means a historical context. It means a literary context. How does this verse fit into the workings of the chapter and the chapters that surround it and maybe even the whole book? There was a great Bible expositor by the name of G. Campbell Morgan of a British descent. G. Campbell Morgan, he had the Morgan method of a Bible study where you read a whole book of the Bible in one sitting and then you read sections of it and you kept reading and reading in order to get the whole picture of the book and then understand contextual. That's excellent, okay? So there's a literary con context, there's a historical context, now I want you to listen to this, there's cultural context. And this is something we miss because we're not reading the Bible as the people would have read it to whom it was given. And that's a dangerous thing. And I talked to my Sunday school class about this on Sunday. Uh, it's easier for a rich man to go to heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And here we're sitting here thinking, yeah, a sewing needle. That's really tiny. Okay, and there's no camel going to fit through that sewing needle. So that means it's impossible for rich people to go to heaven. Doesn't mean that at all. The eye of the needle was a break in the city wall. When the main gates of the city were closed, it was a place where a camel would have to kneel down and very slowly go through this narrow opening to come into the city. Well, why would they have such a thing? In case there was an army outside or headed that way, people could still get in, but the entire army could not get in. That's what the eye of the needle meant. That, that is called a cultural context. And if you don't understand that, come to try to understand that. This is where it takes a little work. Pastor Money, I, I just want to read the Bible and, and, uh, and, 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 and tell people what it means to me. No, no, no. You read the Bible to figure out what it means to God. And it was given in a cultural context. So there is some work involved here, but let me tell you something. It is one of the most exciting journeys you can ever take. You'll never exhaust the riches of the Bible. So how do we approach this, okay? Um, a good commentary can be helpful. I'll say more about that in a moment. A good study Bible with notes can be helpful. There are some really good ones out there. Many of us use the old Schofield. Uh, there's the Ryrie Study Bible. Those are good. I happen to use a John R. Rice reference Bible. Harder to find nowadays, but I like that. There are good Bible study notes. Um, some internet sources can be helpful but be careful, be careful, there's a lot of junk out there, okay? There's a lot of good, and there's also a lot of junk, and you can get tied up into things that are, are completely unbiblical if, you, if you're not careful. Uh, if you hit on a topic when you're studying the Bible that interests you, sidetrack your reading for a few days and study that topic. Well, Pastor Money, I, I can't sidetrack the reading because I've got to go da-da-da-da-da-da. No, 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 no. So if you find something that captures your imagination, which you should be able to, because the Bible's full of great things, then study that thing out, okay? Figure it out. You want, you want to know about the virgin birth? Study about that topic. You want to know about um, having Christian joy? Study about that topic. So th there are whole ways that you can do this, and I'll get into a little more detail in a moment, okay? Um, small point E, if you, uh, be sure you take one idea away from your reading every day, then meditate on that idea throughout the day. Someone sent me a text today about something they're studying in the Bible and working on, and sent it to me with great excitement in regard to what, what they're looking at. Why? Because they found something that captured their imagination. Now they're studying it out. And the Bible is a living book. Love that Word of God. Love it. It's real, and it's a living book, and so we want to love it in that way. So um, uh, look at point F. Always have a pen and notebook handy to jot down thoughts, questions, etc. Okay, I never read without a pen. I prefer, I have a Kindle reader that I carry with me when I travel and that I have for certain books. I prefer paper books. Um, any of my commentaries that I use regularly, they're underlined, they're marked up. Sometimes sermon outlines in the most skeletal form are scratched into the margins of those. Why? Those are, those are workbooks. You say, Pastor Money, you, you ruin your good Bible commentaries that way. No, 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 no. It's not ruining it. That is a tool. When I'm studying, I want to be able to write something down. Do you, do you want to know why? Because I forget. How many of you find that a great thought comes and before you can find a pen, it disappears. 
thank you, God bless you for affirming who I am, okay? Uh, and have become increasingly as I've gotten older. It's crazy, okay? And so, so I have paper, notebook, something right there where I'm sitting, and the minute that thought comes, I think that thought and I write it down because it will vanish very quickly if I don't do that. And, um, and so you should always have that handy. Okay, that's a method. I'm just giving you some general ideas. Now, how about this? Using a daily devotional. Oh, here we go. Here we go. A daily devotional. Well, Pastor Monty, someone said, Pastor Monty, I don't like the daily bread. Someone called it one time the daily Twinkie or something. Uh, ho- hold off now. It's a good place to start. I firmly believe that using a daily devotional can be a good thing. Now, of course, it depends on the devotional. So the highest recommendation is this volume by Pastor Morris, entitled A Point to Ponder. I'm not just selling Pastor Morris's book, but I want to point out some of the things. It's, it's based on the practical works of Richard Baxter, who was a, a great Puritan preacher and great writer, but he's, he's modernized it enough to make it accessible to the average English reader. On the various days, and I'm, by the way, starting to read his book right now. I'm planning to read through this book on a daily basis. It doesn't take long. On the um, on the various days, he has some Bible verses that will go with the theme. Then there's the the the, the um, commentary by Richard Baxter and important points. Morris already highlighted those. Okay, they're already bold, so you don't have to figure out what's important because Morris already did that for you. And then at the very bottom. Look at this, he gives you a point to ponder. That's something to think about. Now always connect the point to ponder with the scripture verses, and then at the very bottom, he gives you a daily Bible reading schedule, if you're wanting to follow a daily Bible reading schedule. So what does this do? This gives you something to think about. Hey, Pastor Monty, that's just immature and it's training wheels. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's good to have a guide. And it's set up for 365 days. It has the date right on the top. I love how this is set up. And I highly promote the use of this. Well, you will be blessed if you do, if you just follow that for, for your devotions, okay? And it helps keep you on track, okay? If you, um, if you miss a day, try to make it up. If you miss too many days, just begin at the calendar date where you're at. Pastor Monty, if I have to do that, then I'll miss something. Yeah, you miss something but I'd rather you continue. So 365 days in a year, I would be much happier if you read your Bible 300 days than if you read it for three days and missed a day and quit. Does that make sense? You don't want to let an interruption derail you. This is, every, by the way, every single uh, New Year's resolution you'll make. You're never going to keep them perfectly. And so you're going to have an interruption. And if you allow failure to derail you, you'll never go anywhere in life. Okay? So you, you use this thing and try to be as consistent as you possibly can. Um, always try to add your own thoughts to those of the devotional writer. Think beyond the devotional to your present situation. Now, another thing I like about this, if you'll notice, Boris in his book has lots of blank spaces on the pages. Now, he didn't put like little lines for you to write on, but there are ample margins. So what if you're reading something and the Lord speaks to you about something, jot it down right in the book. Pastor Money, I just don't write in my books. You're missing out on one of the great joys of life. Okay, take a pen and just write something down in the book and that will help you to remember it even better. So I, I brought, I just pulled some of these off my shelf randomly. So it's not a, a recommendation per se, wholehearted recommendation, but I thought these were interesting by uh, David Jeremiah. Okay, many of you are familiar with Dr. Jeremiah. Uh, one called Daily in His Presence, devotional guide. Another called Strength for Today. Those would be good. <laughs> um, of course, we have some of the old... <laughs> Old standard ones, uh, my utmost for his highest. That's a little less readable to the modern reader today. I love personally when you'll have to buy a used copy because it's you buy it on Amazon used copy. I love Harry Ironside's book, A Continual Burnt Offering. Okay, uh, Shannon's nodding his head. Have you read that, Shannon? It's good, isn't it? Tremendous, tremendous. Harry Ironside, the old preacher, and I love that book. So um, find a good one. I pulled this off my, my shelf because I was just going through my shelf. I didn't even realize I had this, which is true of many of my books. And I, I looked at this, wait a minute, 365. Huh, bet they're talking about days there. 365 life lessons from Bible people. 
So this devotional approaches it from a biographical standard. So here is protecting his turf, Sanballat, Nehemiah 2, verse 10. And then it talks about who Sanballat was. So you would learn about 365 characters in the Bible. There's one about Solomon. Well, we kind of know who Solomon was, but who is this guy, Abijah, okay? We'd learn about him. We'd learn about Hezekiah, Mordecai, Haman, Jeremiah, Hananiah, Jonah. Some of these are familiar, some of them are not. Herodias, okay? Um, This is a great little tool. Now, admittedly, I've not read the whole book through, but it would help you to learn characters in the Bible. And if you, if you follow this pattern, this would be a good way to learn the Bible characters. So I'm saying that you don't have to stick to one particular regimen here using, using the devotional method. Then point number six, the commentary method. I love this method. The commentary method, choose one book of the Bible for study. Okay, Pastor Monty, I want to learn the Gospel of John. Good, you've chosen the book of the Bible. Now choose one good conservative commentary for that book. If you're not sure, ask me. Okay, I can make some recommendations. Pastor Monty, what's a good commentary on on Matthew? Okay, well, I would say Boyce is a good commentary on Matthew. What's a good commentary on John? Okay, John Phillips, okay? I would, and if I don't know off the top of my head, they're gonna be in my library. I can look over my library and say, oh yeah, that's a good one, that's a good one. Uh, You want a conservative commentary? that takes a high view of scripture, okay, not some liberal garbage, okay, but a conservative commentary that takes a high view of scripture, okay, then what are you gonna do? You're going to notice how the commentary itself is divided. Uh, so usually they'll have chapter Genesis chapter six, and then they'll divide that into different sections. Notice how the commentary is divided, usually by Bible chapters or sections of the book or even chapter. Read the portion of scripture pertaining to that chapter or section first. Now this is really important. You read the Bible first. You read the Bible first to see what God says to you in the word of God. What can you understand about the Bible? You read that section first. It doesn't have to be a huge section. It could be a small section. You read it first, okay? That's really important. Read the portion of scripture pertaining to the chapter section or section first. Then, after you've pondered it a while, read the commentary section pertaining to the scripture. That is one of the major ways that I learned the Bible as a young man. I would read a section, and then I would take out a commentary. You say, what commentaries? When I was a young man, and I highly recommend them to this day if you can find them, the Bible commentaries by John R. Rice of the Sword of the Lord. I know that's old school. I'll pass my mind, that's just old school. Old school is good school. And I would take his commentary and I would read, and Dr. Rice would comment on something, and I'd be like, huh. I didn't see that in there, or, ha, I never understood that, now I understand it. And I began gaining a basic knowledge of scripture, and scripture was feeding me because I was understanding it. Okay, the Bible marathon method, where we just read as much as we can, but don't even have a clue as to what we read, that, that method is not really helpful, okay? Unless you're in some kind of contest with someone. That method is not helpful. But what is helpful is to take uh, the godly thoughts of another man or his interpretation where he explains something that's difficult for me or confusing, to take that and to ponder it. Now again, as with a devotional guide and with a commentary, those things are not the word of God. You, Pastor, do you ever read a Bible commentary you disagree with? All the time, all the time, okay, all the time. And you know what? As the Lord gives you discernment, you'll be able to say, okay, this part's good. Eh, that's, that's a little cheesy over there. But I like this method, okay? And I've done that for years, and I love doing that. I'm currently doing that, by the way, with the book of Genesis, because I'm going to be teaching a Genesis series at some point in January. I'll be starting that. And I'm currently doing that with the book of, of Genesis. And I'm marking up my commentary, and I'm marking in my Bible. By the way, by the way, say what you will, There's no substitute for a paper Bible. There's no substitute. Say what you will. I know, well, Pastor Monty, that's not very, you know, techie. It's not. But you know what? This book right here, amazing. Amazing book. Never runs out of batteries. Never have to plug it in anywhere. Never have to freak out because the, the, the power went out and therefore I can't read the Bible. Never have to lose all of the notes 
that I've written. I've had this Bible since I was 17 years old. Never had to lose all of the notes I've written on its pages because they updated the version, okay? I'm never charged extra money for this. My mother bought this probably for under $20 when I was, when I was uh, 17 years old. Never been charged extra money for it. I'm just telling you folks, there's something really good about a paper Bible, and that Bible can become for you a spiritual legacy. I really, I personally believe in that, okay? You do what you want, but I personally believe in that. So there's, a, there's one last method I want to mention, and that's the topical method, okay? Choose a topic, that, in, uh, that interests you, uh, or uh, maybe you have a need in your life, so okay, I have a need, and I'm going to study a topic on that. How do I do that? You can do, and again with caution, a topical search online. So Google search, what the Bible says about friendship. Now again, when you go, when you dig into the online mess, okay, there might some crazy stuff pop up, okay? If something doesn't sound quite right to you, <laughs> You ought to avoid that, okay? Or come and ask me about it or something. But, but oftentimes, there are good places. Bible Hub, for example. Uh, there are great places that have information that you can use and topical studies and things like that that will help you to gain um, expertise with the Bible if you're going to study the Bible from a topical standpoint, okay? And then I would recommend you study the related scripture, taking notes and formulating thoughts well, Pastor, I'm not writing a sermon. Okay, I know you're not. But you learn something about, say, the topic of friendship. Okay, a friend loveth at all times. Ponder that. Ponder that. A friend loveth at all times. Proverbs 17. A friend loveth at all times. A brother is born for adversity. Ponder that and think about what that means. You might even take in your little notebook and write the verse, because it's a short little verse. Write it out word for word and then write, what does that mean, okay? A friend loveth at all times. He loves when things are good, he loves when things are bad. He loves when, when, when the friend is in agreement with him, he loves when the friend is in disagreement with him. A friend loveth at all times, and then the verse follows it up, as is often a, a, a poetic parallel in the Proverbs, with, and a brother is born for adversity, okay? Well, Pastor Monty, what's my purpose? Well, according to the Bible, Part of your purpose is to be there to be a brother for someone who's going through a hard time. Now, I'll tell you, that will put feet to your Bible study. Because if you read that verse, a friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. If you read that verse, there's a high likelihood that you can think of somebody in your life who's going through deep water. And you can say, wait a minute, I'm this person's friend, and they're in a really dark place right now, and I'm born for this moment. I'm born for their adversity. Do you see how one verse, of the, and by the way, you'll notice that's not in the notes. That was off the top of my head. I've not had that thought until I stood here in front of you. How one verse could impact my entire day. How one verse could impact my actions or influence me to do something that I would not have thought about doing, and by doing that, change someone's life for the better. So this is the power of, of devotions. It's not checking the box. Well, I'm spiritual because I read 18 chapters today, Brother Monte. Oh, spiritual about that. You're a good reader or you're a liar, one of the two, okay? <laughs> Nothing spiritual about that. Do you know what's spiritual? Is I read something, God impacted me, and I impacted somebody else. I, I believe firmly in Bible knowledge. I truly believe in that. I love the Bible, I wanna learn. I believe firmly in knowing your Bible. You know what else I believe in? Living your Bible. I really believe that. I believe, I believe that a Christian ought to be the most loving person that anybody ever meets. I believe that. Well, Pastor Monty, my, my personality is just unpredictable and grumpy. You're not a good Christian. You're not even close to a good Christian, okay? I believe that the Bible ought to impact the things that I say. I believe that the Bible ought to impact the message that I'm giving. I believe that the Bible ought to impact the fact that I'm surrounded with unsaved people and in the back of my mind, how can I reach that person for Christ? 
how can I make that person's day better and maybe even engage them in a conversation that leads to a gospel conversation? How can I do that? Well, Pastor Martin, I, 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 just, I just don't have time for any of that. Really? You're not reading your Bible enough. How can I love my neighbor? You want to be a really good Christian? You want to know how? Two things. Two things. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Two things. Well, I don't even know my neighbor's name. Then how are you fulfilling that? How you, well, Pastor Mine, I'm fulfilling it because X, Y, and Z, and I've got all my ducks in a row, and all my I's are dotted, and my T's are crossed. I don't even know the names of my neighbors. How in the world am I fulfilling what Jesus said to do? By the way, did you notice that? Little section of scripture, love the Lord thy God, love thy neighbor as thyself. Do you know how that could change your day and change someone's eternal destiny? It is the Bible that has the power to do it, but not just reading for the sake of reading. Pastor expects us to read the Bible. (laughs) I hope you do. It's not just reading for the sake of reading. It's reading for the sake of life transformation. It's reading for the sake of a difference. It's reading for the sake of impacting someone for the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to do. Get in your Bible this year. Use any of these methods or a different one. Get in your Bible this year. Get a message daily, as consistently as you can. Daily. Take that message and say, how can I apply that at work? How can I apply that at home? How, how can I apply that in my marriage? How can I, I apply that in my children? How can I apply that in my own thinking and my own living? How can I apply this? And then letting it sink in and letting it transform The Bible transforms us as we're infused with the truth of Scripture. Ah, Pastor, I'm just not going to be very good at this. I'll tell you what, start doing it, and do it most days of the coming year, and in one year, you'll be better than you are now. Not going to be perfect. None of us will till we see Jesus, but you're going to be better than you are now. Let's, Let's love that book. Let's love that book this year. Father, thank you for your word and the delight that it is to hear your voice in the pages of the Bible. And Father, I pray that you would take the thoughts we've shared tonight and help us not just to have devotions, but help us, Lord, to walk with God, to understand your thoughts because we read them in the Bible, to communicate with you because we pray with sincerity and and transparency, to make it real, Lord, to make it a relationship, Father, I pray that you'll inspire us to do these things in the coming year. And Lord, to start now, to get a good running start on New Year's, Lord. Help us to do these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.